Um, you know, it's going to rain, right? All right, see? All right. Um, by the way, on that video, just FYI, um, the name of uh, the Shores Church, Free Baptist Church, you know, doesn't mean it's like a free will Baptist church or something. In Scotland, uh, Brother Shore told me they don't, they don't usually really use the word independent Baptist. A, a church that's not aligned with a denomination is called a free Baptist because they're free, you know, they're free. Isn't it good to be free? So that's, if, if, if I don't know if that, did anybody have that thought? What that, what you were, Bobby, you're raising your hand and going, no, you know. It, leave it to a missionary, right? Aren't you glad I'm defending the missionary and I'm laying this out, you know? Defend the missionaries. Um, but that was a nice video. All right, uh, we're going to be in our Bibles in Luke chapter number three tonight. Luke chapter number three. And we are looking at the life of, of the Messiah, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, through all four gospel accounts. And we are going to start at the beginning and we're going to go all the way through his life using all four Gospels as they are um, uh, put together. Um, if you have uh, Aerial Ministries, Harmony of the Gospels, that, that, that might help you. But we are just in paragraph three of I don't know how many, how many paragraphs, Brock, do you know how many paragraphs there are in the whole thing? There's a lot. Uh, <laughs> 368. Okay, that sounds about right. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. There's, there's a lot. Uh, and we're on paragraph three, and so, it, but you know, we'll just go our way through this, and it's I, I enjoy it. We're still in the very early stages of Roman numeral one of Dr. Frutenbaum's uh, outline on uh, basically looking at the uh, the coming of the King, you know, the arrival of the King, looking at the birth of Jesus. And best I can tell from looking at it, we'll probably be studying the birth of Jesus all the way till Christmas time, you know what I mean? Because we're going we're gonna to go through and talk about uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, you know, and John the Baptist when he was born and all that stuff. So we got some stuff ahead, but we have been looking at the genealogies. And I entitled tonight's Bible study, and I, I, I tried to come up with a title that's somewhat relative to what we're going to talk about. And... Some of you are going to like this title. Some of you are not going to like this title. But I entitled tonight's message, Who Needs a Man? Who Needs a Man? You know, that's, that's kind of, I want to put the right emphasis there. Not like, who needs a man? You know, because all the women said, no one. Um, <laughs> men need women. Women do not need men. So, but I'm looking at it more like, who needs a man? That's kind of where we're after. And last week we looked at the genealogy in the book of Matthew from the perspective of Joseph, Jesus's uh, adopted stepdad. And we saw last week that when you look at the genealogies in Matthew, which is from Joseph's perspective, and Luke, which comes from Mary's perspective, that that Matthew is, um, that most people say that Matthew's is given so that we know that Jesus has a right to David's throne legally because Joseph was from David's line. And then people would teach that Luke shows Jesus' biological line through Mary because Mary is also a descendant of David. And we saw last week that that's really not, from the Jewish perspective, why Matthew gave his genealogy. He gave his genealogy to, to show everybody right up front that Joseph is not the father of Jesus. And he wants to deal with Jeconiah's curse and we talked about King Jeconiah where God said none of your none of your 
children are ever going to sit on the throne of David. And Joseph was a descendant of Jeconiah. So uh, Matthew's point is he's not the son of Joseph. Now tonight, we're going to look at, at Mary's side in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 3, and we're going to read beginning in verse number 23, all right? Luke chapter 3, verse number 23, the Bible says, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Um, now, this genealogy, you know, goes on in verse 24 all the way through verse number 38, which was the son of who, which was the son of, son of, you know, all the way you'll get to King David and who is the son of Obed. And, and then you'll end up all the way in verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. So there's this long genealogy, but I didn't figure y'all want me to read it, and I don't want to mispronounce all those names. So we'll just, we're going to focus on verse 23. Now remember, when we looked at Matthew last week, that Matthew's Gospels target audiences Jewish, and, and so it's interesting that, that Matthew breaks a lot of Jewish genealogy rules. Remember we saw last week that he skips some names, in other words, he doesn't, he doesn't name every so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Sometimes he'll skip uh, somebody in between, and, but you know, he has the line established, but he doesn't give every single name. And remember, Matthew gives uh, four Gentile women. He names four women alone would have been unusual, but four Gentile women. Now Luke, on the other hand, he follows strict Jewish custom. He skips no names and he names no women. Now, that's another reason I would tell you that Matthew's making a point. If Matthew's thing was to make sure that he dotted every T in terms of Joseph's genealogy, he wouldn't have broken those rules. But as we've said, Matthew is trying to make the point that Jesus is not Joseph's son, and he wanted to deal with Jeconiah's curse. But Luke, his point is to say um, that, that Jesus is Mary's son, and biologically, he has a right to David's throne. But did you notice when I read in verse number 23 that it says Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph? It doesn't say the son of Mary. Isn't that interesting? Now it says, as was supposed. So I suppose that's talking about everybody, that was what everybody just, you know, well, he must be, you know, you know must be, Joseph must be the father. You imagine Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary saying, hey, we didn't have any shenanigans before we got married. And all the people going, yeah, right, right, right. You know, we, how, how long you say you've been married? How old is Jesus? <laughs> um, you know, that, I, but the scripture here is interesting in that it doesn't mention Mary's name. Now, this brings the question, um, why is she not named? How do we know that this is Mary's genealogy at all? And it's, you know, if you were just to read this, I think you would assume the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Wouldn't you read through that and assume this is Joseph's genealogy as well? See the problem? Now, it's interesting under most Jewish customs that the ancestry was always traced through the father, even to this very day. Jewish identity is generally determined through the father's line, uh, typically. And the question would be, how would a mother's genealogy ever even be recorded? Now, I want to say it is not unheard of. There is biblical precedent. 
um, in, um, in the Old Testament, in Ezra chapter 2 in verse 61 and in Nehemiah chapter 7 in verse 63, we are given the names of two different women that, that, that God chose to, to name them and give some of their genealogy, but it is rare. So then the question comes back, then how do we know the genealogy in Luke 3 belongs to Mary? Now this again goes back to where I don't, where I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. It's really not that complicated, but it is helpful to know original languages. And in the English, it's kind of hard to tell, but in the Greek, it, it's not hard to tell, especially if you understand Jewish perspective. If you just knew Greek and you didn't understand Jewish perspective, then it still might be difficult. You see, in the Greek, in the original language, when you read through this entire genealogy, every single name in the Greek is preceded by a definite article. Now, the Greek word is tau. Um, tau, omnicron, upsilon. In our, in our language, T-O-U. Okay? And, and it's the genitive case, definitive article. And you say, what does that mean? Well, if I were going to translate this, if I were in first-year Greek and I was going to translate these, these verses... In verse, uh, for example, when I get down to the son of David, uh, further on down here, I, I would literally translate it, the son of the David, the son of the Jesse, which was the son of the Obed, which was the son of the Boaz. Do you understand what I'm saying? It would add a definite article, and it, an extra the would be in there every single time. Now, for a first century Jewish person, they understood that when they saw this, and they see it in every single time before the name of the person is this definitive article except one name. Guess whose name does not get the definitive article? Big time. Boy, Woody, you must be in the Air Force. Well, you're not anymore. You're out. You're out of the Air Force. We got a lot of people getting out of the military, out of the Air Force. I don't know, Blossom. It seems to be in the air. You could just... We could, we could whip up a retirement ceremony for you. You know, do it, need a parachute. Yeah, we do it on the back for C-130. Um, so, any rate, so all these names have this, this definitive article except Joseph. And that was a signal to the, uh, the reader that they're not talking, that Joseph is exempted from all these other names. Joseph doesn't fit with them, and yet legally he is the representative of Mary. And so they would have understood that this is not talking about Joseph, but about his wife, uh, who in the rest of Luke you would obviously know was Mary. So does that make a little more sense? It's interesting, isn't it? You probably never hear stuff like that, but it's an interesting question. Mary's name is not really mentioned in there. But any first century Jewish reader would have under understood this. Um, now remember, another thing that Dr. Frutenbaum brings up is that genealogies were very important and they still are to the Jewish people and up until AD 70 when the Romans you know burned down the temple and all that and they lost a lot of those records but they were really big on genealogies and even after Jesus resurrection when the apostles are running around saying Jesus has risen from the dead and Jesus is the way to heaven and he's he's that the right he's going to rule on David's throne they, they could have challenged that and said well I don't think he's descendant of David. And you probably could have found in those days, in many of, the, probably in the, in the uh, synagogue in Capernaum, um, maybe the one, you know, maybe at the temple itself in, in Jerusalem, you probably could have found some of those genealogies because they were really uh, prolific 
in keeping their, their records of their genealogies. Everybody wanted to know who they were the son of who, so son of who, so they knew what tribe they were from. That was a big deal, especially for the Levites and other, other different tribes. So if you can imagine if, if Jesus' claim to David's throne could have been challenged by his genealogy, they would have done so. Another interesting thing I, that, that Dr. Frutenbaum points out is between Matthew and Luke's genealogy, we are given four titles of many, but four of the titles that are given to Jesus. Uh, for example, in Matthew 1.1, he is called the son of David, and he's called the son of Abraham. And then in Luke chapter 3 and verse 38, which I read to you, he's called the son of Adam, and he's called the son of God. And so as the son of David, Jesus is a king. As the son of Abraham, Jesus is a Jew. As the son of Adam, Jesus is human. As the son of God, Jesus is divine. So when you put all these together, Dr. Frutenbaum said basically what the genealogies are saying of Jesus is he's the Jewish God-man king. Pretty cool, isn't it? The Jewish God-man king. And, and that is the presentation that we will see throughout all four gospel accounts, Jew, the Jesus Christ, the Jewish God-man king. Now, there are some critics that when they read the, the Bible and they read the genealogies that are kind of anti-Messianic groups, they will agree with us on the fact that Matthew and Luke are clear that Joseph is not Jesus' father. I find that kind of interesting. Even critics will read this and say, yeah, Matthew's statement is to say Joseph isn't dad. And then in Luke's account, yeah, he's, they're not talking about Joseph here. They're talking about Mary. But then they go on and they say the problem that that brings is that the claim to the throne of David must come through a man. So even if Jesus is the son of Mary, what right does he have to the throne? But who needs a man? <laughs> There's my title works in there. This is why it, it's important to understand the doctrine of the virgin birth. Because the critics would say, we don't know who really, if you don't want to say Joseph was the father of Jesus, fine. Then we don't really know who is the father, but they would consider Mary to be an immoral woman who gave birth to an illegitimate child, and therefore he has no right to the throne of David. Interesting thinking, isn't it? And I got to tell you, if in fact Jesus was born of a biological man, I think they would have a little bit of a case. This is why as Christians, we understand and believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin and why we celebrate and I look up to Mary as a is a wonderful godly example. No, we do not believe that Mary is the Savior. No, we don't think she's, she's not divine, but she's a very special lady. You see, the Bible begins to deal with this whole idea that who needs a man really pretty early on. Because wouldn't you agree that when it comes to genealogy, especially from the Jewish perspective, that it, it comes through the man, and when you consider from the, the Jewish culture, Old Testament, New Testament, and even to this very day in the Middle East, 
to this very day, there's, in the Middle East, there's a perversion of, of male dominance, you know. Yeah, you ever, I, I know some of the guys in the military told me about in Saudi Arabia and stuff that they'll build these giant malls in Saudi Arabia and there'll always be two-story malls and one floor is for the men and one floor is for the women. Imagine every time you built a mall, you had to build it, build it twice, you know. But I guess when you got Saudi oil money, I guess you can do it. But, um, but we can all agree that we see this, this, this priority, if you will, on, on, you know, the male, and especially when it comes to genealogy. But when it comes to how God was going to save us from our sins through Messiah, who needs a man? Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and God comes to them and calls them out on it and then he, he tells them, because you've done this, you're now you're going to die. And then they got kicked out of the garden. And, um, and yet, in the middle of all that, we have the very first hope that there's going to be a Messiah, there's going to be redemption, there's going to be a a way to get our sins atoned for. And remember that back in Genesis chapter number 3, that that God says to Eve, not to Adam, but to Eve, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between Satan and the woman, the, the serpent, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That God looks at Eve and says that I'm going to bring redemption. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make a way of escape to atone for your sins. And Eve, it's going to be through you. doesn't say it's through Adam. Fascinating, isn't it? See, that's very un-Jewish. <laughs> Her seed. And what we have is the gospel message here in the book of Genesis. Through Mary... Again, she's not the Savior, but she's a very special lady. Through her seed, she would crush Satan's claim upon us. As Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That, that God said that I'm going to send the Messiah, who's going to live a perfect life, and he is going to be the Passover lamb, and I'm going to place upon him the sins of the whole world, and he's going to die on a cross and shed his blood, and three days later he's going to rise again, and he's going to offer eternal life to anyone who simply believe him for it. This is exactly what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, where he talked about how through one man, Adam, sin came into the world, and death by sin, and uh, we know that death is upon all men because all men have sinned. And then he goes on and says, and yet through the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, comes the offer and the free gift of eternal life. And that, that going to heaven is simply a free gift that somebody receives through faith and that God is offering you the forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus. And if you'll simply trust him as your Savior and receive that gift that, that, that our sins can be atoned for and uh, we are fit for heaven. You see, um, who needs a man? You see this emphasis again on the woman minus the man in Isaiah you know the great prophet Isaiah remember in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 where God tells through Isaiah that uh, behold a a virgin will conceive and a child will come forth and so um, who needs a man I guess all the ladies can say aren't you glad that God didn't say he needed a man to get the plan of salvation established he needed to keep the men away because we'd mess it up Instead, God goes through the line of the woman. 
and through Eve all the way down and then he preserved the seed through the Old Testament all the way down until we read in these genealogies in Matthew and then more specifically in Luke how that, that Mary, uh, through the Holy Spirit of God, conceives a, a son and God himself leaves the throne of heaven, leaves the glories of heaven, becomes a man, lives a life, a perfect life, dies on a cross that you and I could have eternal life. You see, these genealogies contain some very important information when they're studied. I hope it'll build your faith. I hope you know Jesus and you'll know life. You know, when Genesis begins this who needs a man idea, I remember when I first was studying the life of Messiah and I was like, this is really interesting learning from a Jewish perspective and I was learning all this stuff and then I remember one day uh, Brock came in and plopped on my on my desk this this thin little book you know eight and a half by eleven or so called Messianic Christology and um, he goes you need to read this one too he said you'll find this really interesting and at that point he'd already earned my trust a little bit so I said okay I'm going to check this book out and of course it's on it's right behind my desk in my closest bookshelf I keep it very close at hand it's an excellent resource book and very early in that book, Dr. Frutenbaum goes through all the Old Testament passages that, that deal with the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And, of course, one of the first one he's, ones he deals with is Genesis 3.15. But what I found really interesting was how he brings this point out, how, how God tells the woman, tells Eve, through you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring deliverance. I'm going to bring the Messiah through you. And it's gonna, he's, gonna, he's not going to be an ordinary man. And then the very next time, or the very first time you ever hear or read about a man coming, <laughs> other than Adam and Eve, is in Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1, just a few verses later. The Bible says, And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, or in, in the Hebrew, from Jehovah. And Dr. Frutenbaum points out that if you translate that verse very literally, what it says there is, she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man, Jehovah. I have gotten a man, Jehovah. And Dr. Frutenbaum is convinced, and it certainly makes sense to me, that Eve and Adam, they've never seen a birth before. They've never been a baby and so all of a sudden, from, you know, two cells, nine months later, I'm assuming it still took nine months, <laughs> you know, out pops baby Cain. And Eve looks at the wonder of this miracle of birth and says, I have gotten a man, Jehovah, that she thinks this is the God-man. This is the man Jehovah. This is, this is who he talked about he was going to send. This guy must, this, this, this must be the one that's going to fix our problem. Now we read the rest of the story in Genesis. How does old Cain turn out? <laughs> you talk about disappointing expectations, you know. I asked myself, I wonder when Eve, when it first occurred to her that this Cain was probably not the God man. I wonder how long it took old Cain to figure that out. But we know the rest of the story. And ultimately, Cain kills his brother and is a murderer and is not the, not the solution. And, you know, we know the rest of the story. But I think it leads 
the understanding that Eve would have had that who needs a man, that God was going to take care of it, and it was going to be through the seed of a woman that the Messiah would come. Who needs a man? Aren't you glad for our Savior? And I hope you know you're on your way to heaven. Any questions or comments? How about that? I got done on time. If not, I appreciate you being here. We're going to pick things up next week, and I'm, uh, I'm glad to study the genealogies, but I'm glad to be moving away from them as well. So we'll move on to some other things uh, next week as we move through in the life of Messiah. All right, let's pray and we will uh, be dismissed. Lord, thank you for uh, the teaching of your word today and um, thank you for salvation that is freely given to anyone who believe you for it. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we'd be reminded that with you all things are possible and that uh, your work of salvation is not dependent upon us that it's a free gift. Lord, we certainly recognize if we had to earn it or do good works or whatever, we would fail very miserably. So we're so thankful that you did it miraculously and you provide it through grace. Lord, I pray you'd be with the folks as they're dismissed, each one of them and the different issues of their life and their businesses and their families. Lord, bring us back together um, this Sunday, if uh, be your will. Lord, we do continue to ask your blessing and protection and help upon our fellow citizens here in uh, Florida and Alabama and uh, in recovering from the storm and even the the current storm that's moving through just uh, uh, help us uh, come together as as Americans and thank you for the goodness you've given to our country in Jesus name amen amen all right hey thank you for being here tonight we're gonna have a men's uh, meeting starting in about five minutes in my office so if you're one of the guys you want to stay for the men's meeting uh, you know meet me in my office in uh, five minutes all right See you then. Thank you for being here. Over and out.